The eyes to the left. Welcome to the eyes to the left. This is the Mirror Politics regular podcast looking at all the events in Westminster. Uh, we're looking to bring you the news, analysis and a bit of gossip from what's happening in the world of politics. Uh, and being the Mirror, it's hopefully going to have a, a leftist stance and we'll talk about the issues which matter to our readers, not just those which kind of the right-wing press care about. My name is Jason Beattie, I'm the Mirror's Head of Politics, and joining me are my colleagues, Anton Deck of Political Correspondence, Dan Bloom and Mikey Smith. Hello. 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 Um, it's Wednesday, uh, which means the highlight of political week for some, uh, the low point for others, was Prime Minister's Questions, or PMQs as we, we refer to it. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn gets to ask six questions of Theresa May at midday every day on Wednesday, and... Dan, how do you think it went today? It was a mixed bag today, really, wasn't it? He started off with one thing and then moved on to another and on to another. But for a moment, I thought he might not raise public sector pay, but he did. We all breathed a sigh of relief. It was... I thought it was pretty even-handed. We're quite used to these clashes between Corbyn and May now because we know quite a lot of what Corbyn's going to say and we know quite a lot of what May's going to say, and it's very in the trenches, so traditional Labour Yeah, Tories. and you've got this clear kind of ideological battle of, exactly. of Corbyn, you know, anti-austerity, Britain need to pay rise, always highlighting the plight of those who are most vulnerable and less well off. And then this, for May, you get this much more kind of old Tory line, or do we? Or is she shifting a bit on things like pay? She's shifting a bit. I mean, she says there needs to be flexibility next year, doesn't she? The problem is she hasn't said exactly what that's going to mean. And quite rightly for him, Jeremy Corbyn picked her up on that and picked her up on the fact that what was announced yesterday, which is 1% for police just as they were going to get anyway, plus a bonus, would still be below inflation, even if it was everything that's promised. So, so, Mikey, do, do you think kind of Theresa May kind of dealt with Corbyn's questions on this? I mean, he, he, you know, I thought the one attack he actually did really well on was he said to her, can you guarantee that no police officers will be cut and no prison officers will be cut as a result of this pay increase, which is going to be paid for, crucially, from existing budgets? Yeah, well, I, I, I think both Theresa May and, to a certain extent, Jeremy Corbyn are in a bit of a holding pattern at the minute because uh, there's only two weeks between um, uh, Parliament's really long summer uh, and everyone uh, going off for party conference season. So it, it, it's hard for anyone to pick up really any momentum. I think Theresa May is quite good at not answering questions. Quite good. Quite good. <laughs> uh, what she does have a tendency of doing, which we saw last week at PMQs, is to uh, fall back on some things that in her head sound really good uh, but in reality uh, sound really callous. Uh, last week she uh, referred to uh, an increase in uh, nurses' pay as this, that and the other, uh, which did not go down well. And of course this week she said that police have had a 32% pay rise. I think if you were to go to any police officer on the street and say, well it makes sense because if you work it out this way that's how it stands up, they might sort of scratch their head at you. Yeah, I mean this was kind of maths from the account of the Don Corleone, wasn't it? It was, you know, we wanted to add up, we wanted to make it add up. But what what was, you know, the police chiefs have already come out, haven't they? Prison officers, uh, poli uh, they have a, uh, police federation. Police federation, thank you for correcting me there. Effectively, they, they've come out and said it is a downright lie. Excellent quote for a tabloid newspaper. So we're very grateful for this. Exactly. Uh, and why is it a downright lie? 
Well, she was talking about progression pay as part of this. So it's not just when you come in and you sort of stay in the same job. It's when you're judged to have done the job well. So when you get a public sector job, you go in a pay band of maybe two, three, four, five thousand pound range. And you start at the bottom of the band and you work your way very slowly through the band, even if you don't work your way up, in addition to this 1% pay rise, because that's what staying in a job and being loyal is all about. You get recognised as being still on that level, but good for your level. So if she's factoring all of that in, it's quite misleading because the band itself is not moving very much and people who've been there for a long time won't really see the benefit. She was talking specifically about new police officers. Yeah, and this is what Mikey was saying, which I agree with entirely, is this, this it just sounds bad. It sounds clunky. If you've been on a seven-year pay freeze, you're not going to be happy if somebody comes along and says, you're living through golden times. The other problem with Theresa May's uh, maths is that she included uh, the increase of the... Um, the 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 rate at which you start paying income tax in her calculation, which it, it's very difficult to argue that con- constitutes a pay rise for public sector workers, considering everyone gets yeah. it. And I've already noticed on Twitter you've got police officers posting the pictures of their paychecks as well, going how how fantastic it is, Theresa May, and other sarcastic <laughs> comments attached to it. So you can see why this is difficult. But did did, did um, Corbyn kind of you know did he kind of win the, the, the exchanges do you think or was it a score draw or what more does he need to do to kind of well he, t- he ticked he ticked all of the boxes I think he needed to tick to keep himself going through conference season um, he didn't go in on any one particular thing he went on a he, he took a bit of a scattergun approach but that kind of sometimes works against Theresa May because she doesn't have time to get her favourite lines out in, in, in the exchanges. Yeah, well, we'll come to conference season in a, in, in, a, in a few minutes. So I just want to kind of, yes, I mean, I, I kind of thought again with, with Theresa May, obviously I'm slightly biased, I work for Mirror, but was uh, her, her final response was, was, you know, it was on autopilot. It was like, it was, this is a pre scripted message. And it, it just sounded very clunky, very lame to me. I'm kind of, I think she, you know, this inability to think on her feet which we saw during the general election, seems to be exposed every week at Prime Minister's Questions as well. Well, you can see it at every PMQs, and she's done this for a long time, that you get six questions, she gets six answers, so she gets the last word. And her sixth answer always finishes with something that's been scripted up for her by her office, by central office. And sometimes it feels scripted and sometimes it doesn't. I think today it was very scripted because it was the the Labour Party would only destroy our economy as they did last time and all that sort of thing. It's the arguments that have been rehearsed over and over and over and for a lot of voters are probably priced in now and aren't going to make a huge lot of difference but she feels that she needs to remind people of that. I think that's a a strategy that has been carried over from David Cameron who who, who used to do this but the difference is that David Cameron was charismatic enough to get away with it. He was a a better actor, a better performer, he was more of a kind of Tony Blair mould of actually he liked the kind of performance aspect of of standing there. She she is obviously less comfortable with that sort of kind of politics stroke theatre stroke performance art. Mm. And, and the other issue which um, Corbyn went on was was uh, tuition fees. And well, why did he do this? He was setting the scene for this afternoon's debate. So we've got two things up in the Commons this afternoon. It's, it's called an opposition day, which often falls on a Wednesday. You get a debate on a big 
heart-rending issue of the day. So today it's it's two things at once. It's NHS pay, giving nurses and so on a fair pay rise, and it's tuition fees. So we're gonna we're about to have the first tuition fees rise since 2012, uh, from 9,000 a year to even more than 9,000 a year, depending on who you are. And uh, Labour holds votes against these and forces it to a conclusion, but it's not binding. Today there's been a big argument over whether Labour's vote is going to be binding or not. Labour thought it was going to be, but Commons authorities actually then came out and said it's not. So uh, whatever happens, it's going to be interesting because... Because, Mikey, what's the excitement we've had over the last 20 minutes? The excitement Which... in the last 20 minutes <laughs> is the revelation <laughs> that the uh, DUP, uh, who are obviously... Uh, the hardline Northern Irish Party, which uh, Theresa May tapped to prop up her minority government, uh, have decided that in this uh, instance they're going to vote with the Labour Party this afternoon. So hang on there, I thought Theresa May had, had given the DUP 1.5 billion to buy their loyalty. Oh Do, no! Does that, does that work? Uh, no, that that's correct. <laughs> and and we we've been asking for ages how much 1.5 million pounds billion pounds gets you, uh, and 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 it seems we're learning today uh, that it only gets you so much um, the the deal that was struck was uh, for all intents and purposes what's called a confidence and supply deal uh, and what that means is that the other party will agree to vote through key pieces of legislation that are necessary to keep the government afloat and usually that means the Queen's speech and the budget so uh, you've got a legislative agenda and the money to put it through in theory, all else is uh, is up for grabs, but usually the DUP will vote with the Tories anyway. Now, now we we've been calling the, the DUP um, the crackpots because of their kind of extreme views on kind of you know denying climate change, you know, kind of on abortion and other you know issues. They're creationists. They they have a, a fairly let's say extreme range of uh, of opinions. Uh, are we now going to have to rename them the party of conscience of and crackpots, or is, or is this kind of is this a kind of fundamental shift in the in the, the deal with the Tories, or is it just a blip? To be honest, it's the DUP um, uh, sticking to their manifesto. Their manifesto mm. uh, opposed increases to tuition fees, so they're just sticking to what they said they were going to do. So it's not it's not threatening the stability of the, of the Conservative government. I think it'll probably be a bit embarrassing if Theresa May loses it uh, because she's done everything that she can over the last few weeks to try and. Um, some would say rig the parliamentary system in her favour, even though she hasn't got a majority. Rigging? How does this work? We like rigging. Imagine rigging. <laughs> well, um, uh, should I try and do this? You one? can try and do yeah, this one. This is, and, yes. Yeah. Now, if anyone wants to go and do some knitting for a bit while we do the techie boring stuff, now's your chance. I'm Dan explains certain. the complicated system of I'm parliamentary committees. I'm certain Dan <laughs> can make it interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure I can make it interesting, but uh, there are things in Parliament called public bill committees, which do the boring job that no one wants to do and look at each law as it comes through line by line and make sure it's not absolutely terrible, which often laws are. Now, these committees are usually represented by maybe nine or ten or however many MPs split how the House of Commons is split. So if Theresa May doesn't have a majority, which she doesn't, there shouldn't be a majority in the committees either. Last night they put through a motion lasting the whole five years of the Parliament saying, no, actually, we will interpret the rules so as to say that we can get a majority on the committees anyway. Their rationale behind it is that they don't need these laws to be sort of held up in red tape for years and years. 
and that they effectively have a minority, any, a majority, sorry, anyway, because of the DUP. Even the, though today, the, the, kind the, of the, the wobbly that's not DUP, the case. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Beautifully explained, and and to put it even more simply, this is what Labour has called, quite rightly, in my opinion, a power grab. And why does it matter to you? Because the laws which will be decided in these committees will affect your lives. Especially Brexit. Especially Brexit, and there's less chance for Labour or even Tory rebels to amend or even block them in the committee stage. So although it sounds extraordinarily technical and slightly behind the scenes, it does matter in the long run. But the the really grubby bit is that it ended up being voted through uh, by a majority of, if I remember correctly, 19 uh, last night at about half past ten. I know this because I'd stayed late at work to cover it. Dan and I have got our violins out here. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the problem about today's vote on NHS and tuition fees is it might well be a case of nothing has changed, nothing has changed, because if the Tories, as they seem to have established, think that it's not binding, they are completely free to say, actually, you don't have to vote for it, you don't have to vote against it if you're a Tory. They'll just stay out of the vote and not dignify it with their presence, if you like. And there has been some talk that this is what they're going to do. So on paper, it will pass by an absolute landslide, you know, 320 to zero or what have you. But in reality, it might not make much difference. OK, I'm going to come back to a bit of PMQ's Prime Minister's questions later, but let's quickly on to conference season. That's the three main parties, Lib Dems, Labour and Conservatives in that order are starting their conference season. We get the SNP at the end of that as well. Sorry to those who don't think the SNP is the main party. The three traditional parties, let's put it that way. Uh, um, we kick off with the Lib Dems down in, in Bournemouth. Do, do the Lib Dems matter anymore? They've got how many MPs? 12? Well, they've got 12 MPs. Um, they might matter at some point. Uh, it's easy to think that they don't matter just yet. Uh, but for 48% of the country, it's nice that there is a uh, sort of card-carrying, remain-supporting party uh, in Parliament. But so Even the Lib Dems are not immune to divisions over Brexit, though. This is true. <laughs> but uh, for me, the, the, the big draw of uh, Lib Dem conference uh, is, is not what happens in uh, on the conference floor, but what happens late at night in the, the various... On the dance floor. On the dance floor. <laughs> so on the first night of uh, Lib Dem conference, there is an event called the Lib Dem Disco. Now, I've been to this the last two years in a row, uh, and I've seen such sights as uh, Paddy Ashdown DJing and dancing uh, in a very fetching trilby hat. Um, and, oh, Julian Hopper, the former MP for Cambridge, oh, he runs this thing and he's he's just very, very excited by it every year. So uh, look out for my Twitter feed. Is that when they sing songs, Mikey? That, no, the sing song is on the last night. That's yeah. uh, what they call Glee Club. Glee Club. Um, and Glee Club is quite possibly the oddest thing one can experience. Uh, it, it involves a big room. It's always sold out. Massive room full of, uh, full of Lib Dem activists uh, who sing from a songbook rewritten versions of popular songs with political lyrics and they're not always the most uh, politically correct. The Mirror is such a good employer, we offer counselling to journalists we send to a port on this. Um, <laughs> they, also, they also offer counselling to me for picking up Mikey's 4am write-ups of the, <laughs> and having to uh, put them on the website. But they are some of the best images you'll see on any website anywhere. Uh, Labour, um, how's that going to look this year, Dan? It's going to be interesting because it's the first conference in 
two years, certainly three years, where the party is ostensibly behind the leader. Last year, I seem to remember there was because conference has the big main stage, which gets on TV, and then lots and lots of fringe events, which is where all the meat and the action happens, which aren't on TV. And I seem to remember the fringe events last year, where either you'd have pro Corbyn MPs all and and activists all on one panel, or you'd have all the anti Corbyn ones, and that's what the dividing line was. And that doesn't really exist anymore because what happened in the election, the faction of the party that used to be anti-Corbyn has, uh, at least for the foreseeable, got behind them and said, we want to preserve our values and our politics, but we accept you as leader and we want you to be prime minister. So there are going to be some interesting intra-Labour things. You know, we're expecting a vote on lowering the number of MPs that have to nominate someone. This is the McDonnell rule after John McDonnell, the shadow chancellor and this is to make it easier for someone on the left to become a leader, for anyone to become a leader but in reality we're talking about people on the left so if you want to stand for Labour leader in normal times you're not challenging someone or what have you you have to get 15% of all the Labour MPs at that time to nominate you. Otherwise, you're not allowed to face a vote by the membership, who, of course, are very left-wing now because the membership has tripled in size under Jeremy Corbyn. And they want to reduce it to, to, to what? From 15% to 10%. They were originally talking about 5%. That seems to have come back a little bit in a compromise between the mm. two sort of wings of yeah. the party. It's not totally harmonious at Labour either. They've got, you know, the, the Sadiq Khan, it's not certain if he's going to speak, mm. critic of, of Corbyn, uh, Andy Burnham also, he's not necessarily got a slot and slightly surprising at the moment but this could change that the uh, Shadow Housing Minister John Grenfell, given, uh, sorry, John Healy, given Grenfell, is also not going to be speaking at the moment, which is slightly unusual. Uh, this is the Corbyn Labour Party, he wants to hear more from the members, it's very much in his way of thinking and doing things. Uh well, there could be more of this to come down the track because the arrangements committee, which I'm not sure I could have made that sound any more boring, but there's a committee of <laughs> give it a go. seven. Give it a go. All oh, right, <laughs> the conference arrangements committee. <laughs> Scintillating. There's a committee of seven people. They're you know proper labour activists, very connected with the union movement, who get to sit down and have the joyous job of deciding how the agenda works at conference every year. In reality, that's really important because it decides who gets to get heard. And what gets to get voted on? Now, so on issues no like if, Trident, for example, exactly. it's quite a big thing. If they can get Trident off the agenda, it can save the blushes of, of both sides of the party. Not to mention, uh, there are pushes to uh, keep Labour in the single market, and of course, McDonnell. Uh, yeah, all of these things. So, so it doesn't matter. And the Conference of Matrons Committee, they had elections for it. They did. Week. Now, this doesn't affect this year's conference. That's very important. But after this year's conference, uh, two, let's, shall we say, moderate members of the committee, which was Gloria De Piero and uh, Michael Cashman, Cashman uh, have been replaced by uh, two very heavily momentum-backed. I, I seem to remember I was getting texts from momentum constantly telling me to vote for them, and I'm not even a member of the Labour Party. Uh, candidates uh, who are of the left, they're proudly of the left, and they believe that they can, you know, get Corbyn's politics up okay. there. So they'll be members of the committee for next okay. year. I, I, as you may have guessed, I, I'm kind of slightly older and wearier, more seasoned than, than Dan and Mikey. This is going to be my 47th conference when I go to the Lib Dems next week. <sighs> and my golden rule of, of conferences is the ones you expect to be full of infighting and cause problems for the leadership 
tend out to be quite harmonious and those where you expect it to be very harmonious and all to go swimmingly tend to be disastrous and really falls apart. That is, is so on saying that, how easy is it going to be for Theresa May at the Tories this year? <laughs> Mikey. <laughs> I would imagine not very easy at all. Uh, she, she, although the the overt moves against her leadership have have kind of uh, gone on the back burner. Um, when you get a bunch of uh, Tories all in the same city at conference uh, with a lot of bars, there is a lot of scope for scheming, um, and it 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 it. Uh, if I were Theresa May, I would be um, keeping a close eye on my closest colleagues. Yeah, and although she said uh, on a trip to Japan a couple of weeks ago that she wants to take the party into the next election, nobody's taking that seriously, uh, probably not even Philip May. It was more about trying to buy her some time, is my opinion. But it has, there is inevitably going to be some sort of beauty pageant at this conference and probably the next one until they get a new leader. Uh, because they're all positioning for it, aren't they? Yeah. So you're going to have, I think, quite an interesting division among Conservatives at the moment between the, the, the kind of the more long-serving Conservatives like who, who fancy their chances, like David Davis, Boris Johnson, for some reason Liam Fox, who's the most implausible politician in any party <laughs> at any time, also thinks he's always going to be leader. Um, Amber Rudd, but she's got, a, you know, is, the name's been talked about. But then you've got this younger generation coming through who they think, you know, could be the fresh start, which we need. I'm not including Rees-Mogg in that, but I am including people like Tom Trishenhet. Who else do you see? I'm Dan? not sure Jacob Rees-Mogg could be part of the, <laughs> the new, no, no, new yeah. way well, of yes, yeah. I, th- I think what you're going to see is a lot of people who are not household names will turn up to these fringe events that we talked about before with the mm. meet and the activists and they will start talking about terribly boring things like what sort of conservatism do we want to see in Britain? <laughs> yeah. And that sounds really dull, and it, it happens in the same way at Labour, by the way, uh, with Labour. But it, it, what it means is they are putting forward their vision of how party should be, and you can read into what people say at events like this because it will be different to what yeah. Theresa And there will also be a lot of, where did we go wrong yeah. at the election? I mean, Dan summed up our job quite well. We, we will be like, kind of, you know, Premier League club scouts going around the League Ones and the lower divisions looking for talent <laughs> and, and maybe saying he or she could be a kind of useful one day in my life. Possibly not. Quickly, last, last thing, out of PMQs we had a bizarre revelation from Theresa May that AMP is going on what programme? Um, celebrity first dates. Um, it, who's doing this? This would be uh, mop-topped uh, Litchfield MP uh, Michael Fabricant. Former DJ. Former DJ. Who insists he does not have a toupee. He Everyone does. thinks he's, you know. He, he insists it's his real hair. Yeah. If it is his real hair, he goes to probably the same hairdressers as Boris Johnson. Um, and pays, Trump. pays slightly less for it, I think. Um, but yeah, no, Theresa May somehow managed to drop an exclusive showbiz story uh, in the middle of PMQs, which which no one really saw coming. But 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 when she uh, when she revealed it, she she explained what uh, celebrity first dates was in the tone of voice of someone who has never seen Celebrity First Dates and is quite proud of it. Could I just say that I've never seen Celebrity First Dates? You should, it's really good. I'm ashamed of myself. It's, it's really funny. Is it two celebrities or is it one celebrity and one first date? Um, I think it's two celebrities. Has she got the oh, joke wrong then? It, no, 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 I tell a lie. It is, it, it's, 
it's one celebrity and one normal person. Because her punchline was she didn't know if he was the celebrity or the first date. Yes, that was her joke. Conservative uh, Party 2017, the only celebrity is Michael Fabricant. <laughs> uh, the, the big question is, <laughs> if, if you turned up at a blind date and sitting at the table was Michael Fabricant, mm. what would you do? Split the bill of a wig. Right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, as I said, uh, this is the first of a regular series of uh, podcasts. Eyes to the left. Uh, do follow us on Twitter at Mirror Politics. I am at JBT Mirror. I'm at Mikey Smith. That's with a K. And I'm at Dan Bloom One. Or uh, the Mirror's website, uh, www.mirror.co forward slash politics.